spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, May 27th, we're studying Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 23. Persecution is an ever-present threat for the church as the apostles James and Peter find themselves in the crosshairs of Herod the King in Jerusalem. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Tim Eden. Pastor Eden serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas. Pastor Eden, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hi there. Thank you for having me again. As we get started, let's talk a little bit of context. We're beginning Acts chapter 12 today. What should we know about where the church has been and where it's headed as we begin this chapter? Uh, well, you know, as you um, opened with kind of this persecution idea, um, that's definitely part of, uh, from my perspective, the book of Acts leading up to chapter 12. Um, you know, most uh, uh, recently or, or sort of most standing out to me is is the, the whole chapter dedicated to Stephen. Um, uh, uh, many events even before that with Peter and John and the apostles. Um, and, and so it's no different here that uh, there is resistance to the gospel. There's resistance to the good news. Um, uh, and even, um, you know, resistance might be a light way of putting it, uh, maybe a more accurate way in our day. But for the uh, for the apostles at, at this time in Acts, I mean, that's a light way of putting it. There's direct and obvious persecution. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up Stephen. He was mentioned in the previous chapter at, in Acts eleven nineteen. Luke reminded us of the scattering of the church that happened after Stephen. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, now we're, we're going to find ourselves back in Jerusalem in this text. And it is, there's been a bit of a lull in the book of Acts when it comes to persecution. You know, it really reached a, a climax with Stephen's martyrdom, and then the church gets scattered. But then you hear about how the word of God goes out through Philip. And then Saul is converted in Acts chapter 9, and he's mostly receded into the background. He's, he's going to become a much important player in the book of Acts, as we will see after this text. He kind of came mm-hmm. back in the previous one in Antioch. But there's maybe been a temptation to forget that there are people who don't like the word of God and its preaching for the last couple of chapters, and it comes back in full force here. Yeah, but you're right, and I appreciate you the the more immediate context to to where we are coming into chapter twelve now is not so much this um, uh, direct heightened persecution. Instead, we we do really see the the good news going forward into the surrounding areas because of this scattering, which is uh, um, I, I almost have to uh, go back and listen to your guys's um, uh, discussions of the previous chapters because it's such a cool time and and that God uses this scattering to really bring the gospel to, to other places. Uh, but as you said very well, then uh, we come back to, uh, to Jerusalem here, almost to the, the center, the core uh, of the church in, in, a, in a geographical sense, um, especially considering Acts chapter one and this kind of uh, purpose statement of the gospel going out from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, the, the ends of the earth. Um, and, and we come back for, for a time now to uh, the events taking place uh, here in Jerusalem. I think chapter 12, this part of, of chapter 12, 
serves as a bit of a, a wake-up call, maybe. And, and what I mean by that is that, again, there's been this, the word's been going out, the church has been growing, that you had the the issue of how did the Gentiles get included in Acts chapter 10 and 11 with Peter's mm-hmm. vision and the visit mm-hmm. to Cornelius. And there was a bit of internal struggle, but the, the threat from the outside has kind of faded into the background. And here, all of a sudden, there's going to be this reminder, oh yeah, the world hates you. The world does not like the preaching of Christ crucified. And I, I think it's in, in John's gospel where, where Jesus, he, you know, he speaks about how if the world hated me and persecuted me, it's going to do the same to you. Mm-hmm. But then he also promises, take heart, I've overcome the world. And I think we're going we're gonna to get a chance to, to see both of those things in action and in the part of Acts 12 we get today. Yeah. And even in these first two verses, uh, first few verses, I should say, um, uh, uh, I've got uh, on my notes a few references to Jesus' own words. Like you said, um, I, I didn't happen to mention the one in John, but absolutely in John's gospel. And then similarly, of these things that take place in chapter 12, uh, Jesus told them this would happen, um, that, which in some ways makes it a little bit better. But in some ways, it, you know, <laughs> it, it might not help in, a, in, a, in an emotional sense. Um, yet it, it, um, it, it speaks to, again, uh, uh, God's foreknowledge, um, his plan and his working out of that plan. And then also his, his presence, um, in and with the disciples, um, as he said in the great commission, and then also with the the Holy spirit coming in the beginning of acts. So let's go ahead and, and read this text. We're in acts chapter 12, beginning of the first verse about that time, Herod, the King laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting." I'll pause there. That takes us through verse 11 of the text. Mm -hmm. So Pastor Eden, uh, give us the context. We've got Herod the king. There's a lot of Herods in the Bible. Uh, Who who are we talking about here? Um, Yeah, good question. Uh, uh, And while I'm not a history expert, uh, so this is not my area of forte, fortunately, um, uh, commentaries and people wiser than than myself help with this a little bit. Um, uh, So the extent of my knowledge, uh, Herod Agrippa I um, is what I read. Um, And this would be a grandson of Herod the Great, um, uh, which would have been uh, uh, the 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 Herod reigning at the at the um, at Jesus' birth, um, Herod the Great uh, would have been Jesus' birth. Um, uh, 
Uh, and so this is a grandson now. It's definitely years have gone by. We are in the, um, I don't know if we have an exact date for this happening, but a very, very close date with uh, right around 40 or 41 AD. I don't know if that's uh, what you know as well. Some, yeah, the, the early 40s AD for this part is is my understanding. Okay. Yeah, and, and Herod Agrippa I, grandson of Herod the Great, that's that's what I've I've read too. We all stand on the shoulders of, of those who know more than we do. Yeah. The one other interesting note I want to mention that I came across about Herod Agrippa the first is that um, uh, Herod the Great uh, married a Hasmonean princess, which really starts to go beyond my knowledge. But there is um, a Jewish descent connection there. Um, yes. And so uh, this is from a, a commentator by the name of uh, Bruce, last name Bruce. Um uh, says that Agrippa was more popular with the Jews than most members of the Herod dynasty, um, largely owing to his descent from the Hasmonean royal family. Uh, and, and the reason he notes that is because of the verse that comes up in three, where um, this pleasing to the Jews idea um, seems to, uh, to play into, a, you know, kind of the politics maybe of, of what's going on here. Yeah, and and that that rel- the relationship that he has w- with the Jewish nation also is important in in the end of our text today when we find out about how he dies and that you know he he should know some things about what the Jews teach and and what the Old Testament says so that mm. but yeah the the political ramifications I think are, are certainly very important here as well so okay that's the Herod. Uh, and he starts to lay violent hands on some who belong to the church. And he he pretty well goes straight to the top. This is, I mean, we've heard about the apostles being imprisoned before, but now this is the first time that the apostles begin to face death. Yeah, yeah. So again, this idea of, of persecution is the first thing that stands out to me um, right away in, in verse one. What is noteworthy, though, is this is persecution at the hands of a different person, a different entity. Um, and really in the book of Acts, uh, at least as I think about it in my mind, um, we've we've had different groups or individuals persecuting the church. Uh, so back early in the book of Acts, uh, my, my summary that comes to my mind is um, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the council, the, the Jewish leaders. Um, uh, back in Acts chapter 5, there really seems to be some, some parallel or at least reminiscing you know, uh, events here um, to Acts chapter 5. Um, uh, then you have um, you know, Saul heightened as kind of the persecutor of the church um, in the middle of Acts. And now we get to this non-Jew, although, yes, the Jewish connection, um, uh, but, but a, you know, a, a, what we would call a secular authority, a secular king, mm-hmm. not necessarily a religiously affiliated person. Um, uh, and this is now, uh, at least in some ways, in part, persecution coming from the hands of, of a different entity. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point, Pastor Eden, and, and one that I had really thought about, but I think you're right, because while there is that religious connection that Herod has, and and it is a religious reason, you know, that's behind, he recognizes that the Jews are pleased by what he does, he, he really seems to be acting more from political motives here, that this is a, it is persecution from outside the church, but it's not fully religious, There's there are other things involved, and, and yet the result is the same, the, the church is being persecuted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if we're given you know too much as far as his motives. Again, does it somehow come from the political or, or sort of um, uh, affiliation to the Jewish you know heritage and Jewish family? Are they somehow you know kind of leaning in on him to to help them out? But but we don't have the overt you know kind of um, 
you're messing up the Jewish religion. You know, you're telling people about a Jesus and, and that he's somehow God or the Messiah. You need to stop doing that. That, that was really more the case in Acts 5. Um, uh, it seems to be a little bit different here, but, but we don't really know a whole lot. So I don't want to make too many um, assumptions either. Fair, fair enough. It, 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 Luke tells us that this pleased the Jews. It, it doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, we can imagine why the Jews would be pleased because we, we know that they've been pleased anytime the, the Christians have been persecuted previously mm-hmm. and their religious motivation, particularly the Sanhedrin. But in this case, you know, maybe I'm, I'm willing to read into it a little bit more. It seems that Herod is a little more politically motivated here that, that he's, you know, he likes that he's getting the praise of his people. These are, he finds them to be, he wants to be on the right side of things. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead with this. So he he goes ahead and and beheads James, the brother of John. And this is the first apostle to be, to be martyred. And then he arrests Peter. Yeah. So, so briefly on the, um, uh, James note, uh, obviously this text is much more about Peter and, and the, the events in Peter, but to not skip over what you're, what you're highlighting there also, this is the first apostle that is martyred. Um, Stephen's death, clearly significant. Um, and this doesn't minimize that at all. Um, uh, even as we go back and, and sometimes refer to other martyrs, even even the um, the holy innocents sometimes referred to as the first martyrs um, at the time of Jesus' birth. But here there is some significance to this as James, um, it's clear this is James uh, the apostle, uh, James the brother of John. You know, the text makes that explicitly clear. So this would be the, the you know, often referred to the son of Zebedee. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, he is is martyred, and this is no different than than Jesus' own words to James and John specifically, um, not only to them, but uh, in the context of the conversation in Mark chapter ten. Um, uh, James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus, um, uh, and this is the the somewhat famous or infamous, you know, do whatever we want uh, you to do for us. Um, G- Jesus responds, "What do you want me to do? Uh, give us a, a place to sit at your right hand and at your left." Um, kind of this anticipating the the physical kingdom to come. Uh, and then we have Jesus' words, um, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Um, and then in verse 39, you know, they say, oh, yes, we are able. And Jesus then does explicitly say, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Uh, and the conversation then goes on, focused on the, the other questions that they've asked. But, but there, you know, really Jesus, in a sense, is prophesying uh, this event itself, that, that James is baptized with the baptism with which Jesus is baptized, uh, the referent being um, uh, his death at the hands of other men. Um, you know, what we might say for James, his martyrdom. Uh, hmm. Right, right. Now, and John receives the baptism and drinks the cup as well. He doesn't do so through a, a martyr's death, it seems, but the mm-hmm. exile and persecution that he receives, mm-hmm. he receives the same. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, then, and as, as you mentioned, you know, the Luke does not focus us on the martyrdom of James nearly as much as he does with the, the death of Stephen previously. And it's not that mm-hmm. James's death is unimportant, other than to say Stephen's death is, you know, and, and we, we referenced this already, that's the, the spark that really sends the gospel out. Yeah. Whereas James's death, it doesn't quite function like that in terms of the history. So it's not it's, that it's unimportant by any means, but in terms of the role it plays within the narrative, it's, it's just not as significant as what happens after Stephen's death. 
Yeah, I like that word spark because, uh, um, uh, again, that seems to fit some of these events happening in, in the book of yeah. Acts, that this persecution sparks this happening. This this uh, event or martyrdom sparks these things happening. And, and there seems to be a similar um, uh, uh, pattern uh, here mm-hmm. um, with, again, now Herod going after Peter. If this if, if getting James, you know, and I don't mean to speak of this lightly, you know, but if 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 getting James and, and taking care of him, you know, pleased the Jews and had some positive effects, oh man, you know, thinking in Herod's terms, if I can get my hands on kind of another one of the chief guys, if not the chief guy, Peter, um, how how much more will that gain for me in maybe political terms or 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 uh uh, uh you know, political polls, as we may say, the, the approval yeah. rate these days. <laughs> That's right. Well, no, and that, that does seem to be what's on his mind. And and Peter is the next likely candidate. And I, I read a few things that, that perhaps at this point, the apostles are, you know, we know from Peter's own example that they would have visited some of the area churches. And so maybe that's that very well may, may be why James was the first one who's beheaded because he was the one that came back. And so Herod took him and then not long after Peter comes back. And so he's next in line. And yeah, what a, I mean, if you think about the fish you could catch Peter, <laughs> Peter's top dog and, and for Herod to get his hands on him, that, that makes a lot of sense again with the motives that we we've got. And I, you know, as, as Luke records it, then the timing of, of this, of course, this is when it actually happened, but man, the, the parallels to what happened to Jesus, that you're during the days yeah. of unleavened bread, that sounds pretty significant too. You know, I was wondering the same thing and I and I didn't have a chance to go and, and look at all of the ins and outs of it, but but the very same thing crossed my mind. You know, these parallels to Jesus' own um uh, uh for him betrayal, you know, but but his his uh the guards and soldiers taking him, his his passion, his death, uh, uh and even then it, Again, I started thinking about his his conversation with Pilate and and uh, kind of the ins and outs, especially that John's gospel shares with us as he kind of comes in and out and, and has this conversation with Jesus and then goes out to the crowds and back and forth. Uh, um, we don't see that same interchange here, but but with the nature of the timing, yeah, I, I started contemplating those same parallels. Well, and I think part of that, it, it should there should be some comfort to us in that because we do see what the Lord told his disciples. He said these things were going to happen and they're happening. So there should be some, I think, some comfort to the disciples in this and to us today to see that Jesus' word actually is true. Absolutely. And to bring in another one of those, um, you know, pieces of Jesus' words, this from Luke's gospel, uh, Luke 21 uh, seems to be especially pertaining to these events here in, in Acts 12 um, uh, for Peter himself. Uh, I'll just highlight verse 12, uh, Luke 21, verse 12 in particular. Before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, mentioned explicitly there. Uh, you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Um, some of this we, we certainly see in in Paul's ministry, where you know the Book of Acts uh, starts to focus on more, uh, but here, uh, you know, prisons uh, before kings, you know, we we have the, those two terms explicitly here in, in Acts twelve. Hmm. Yeah, so we see Jesus' own words come true as as should be expected. Now, I I, I find a little bit of of humor, perhaps, and this becomes a little bit more apparent as as the conditions of Peter's imprisonment are described, but it seems that, that Herod has learned from 
what happened the last time the apostles were put in prison back in Acts chapter five. Mm hmm. <laughs> he puts them under very strong guard uh, because he, he remember or he was told perhaps, I don't know if, because he was not, as you pointed out, that was the Sanhedrin that did that. But the last time the apostles were put in prison, they got out. And, and it seems that Herod's trying to, to learn from that. Uh, absolutely. You know, he at least knows about it. I, I think Acts 5 lists the, the prison as a public prison, at least according to the ESV. So I, I wonder this is again where my my knowledge of the kind of the cultural history uh, ceases. You know, was this one in the same prison, or at least the same type of prison? Did I don't ex- did the Sanhedrin have their own prison? I, I honestly don't know the answers to those questions. Um, but regardless, uh, again, the imprisonment didn't work last time, as you're saying in, in Acts five, uh, where they think they've got them. Um, the uh, the morning comes and they they say, hey, you know, soldiers, bring bring Peter and um, uh, and John, I believe in that instance, uh, and they go and look, and uh, they're not there. Uh, uh, where'd they go? And then someone else comes and reports, uh, we see them out in the square, you know, preaching again, uh, and they're all flustered and, and upset about this. Uh, very similar here um, uh, in, in these events. And so it seems that Herod is, yeah, being kind of that, you know, wise, at least in an earthly sense, wise ruler. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put even more guards in place uh, to make sure this doesn't happen. And yet we see yeah. uh, what God does. <laughs> Well, that's right. And and verse, I think verse five is a, a pretty key turning point then, because on the one hand, Luke tells us Peter was kept in prison under this heavy guard. And at the same time, there was earnest prayer being made by the church. And and those two things in juxtaposition, it, and it's not that, but it's almost like, okay, Peter's in prison, but the church is praying. That, that I think is a pretty significant tension that's right there. Absolutely. Uh, if if you're a, a first time reader of the book of Acts, and this is the first time you're hearing this account, you know the whether it's Luke as a, as an author, or you know more likely the Holy Spirit working through Luke, it's kind of this cluing you in that that something is going to happen. You know, it's not going to happen even the way that. King Herod Agrippa, you know, wants it to happen. Um, again, there is someone else in authority and in control over his people, um, and and prayer being a part of this. That um, uh, the people are, you know, they can't they can't go break him out of prison. Um, but what can they do? Uh, they can pray to the God who can uh, uh, make anything happen that He wants to happen. Uh, it brings to mind a, a few passages. Um, uh, uh, James chapter five is is one uh, that comes to mind. Uh, this verse, unfortunately, often probably gets abused in some ways, but I think it's very appropriate here. Uh, James five verse sixteen: the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Um, uh, again, seems to be here the these prayers to the God who has that power. You know, enacts uh, His power. Um, but also Philippians 4, um, whether it be Peter in prison or the church surrounding him, um, uh, Philippians 4 verses 5 and following the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, so this again, the prayer of, of the people of God uh, around Peter and, and it juxtaposition that's an excellent word for it here clues us into something is going to to happen uh, surprisingly to us the readers 
Well, and, and I think, and, and not only just the clues within the narrative itself, but putting those things side by side invites us to consider who's who is actually in charge here. Is it is it King Herod Agrippa, or it is or is it the God overall? And of course, we know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. And part of the the reality of of recognizing that he is that the Lord is God overall, even over what what Herod has in mind, is the recognition that you know he may not deliver. Peter mm-hmm. from earthly death because he didn't deliver James just a few verses previously. Yep. But I, and so that, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. And, and that, that in my mind also, and although it's, it's not a verse that's specifically associated with prayer, uh, but I think it's, it's the faith behind the prayers that are offered. It brings to mind the example of the three young men in, in Daniel chapter three, when, mm-hmm. when faced with the fiery furnace, you know, they, they tell King Nebuchadnezzar there that, and this is from, from Daniel three, Oh, beginning of verse 16, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tell Nebuchadnezzar that that our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But then they say, but if not, you know, if, if he lets us die, let it be known that we're not going to serve you. And I mean, I think that's the same faith that we see evident in certainly Peter and in the, the church that prays for him. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent parallel as well. And uh, I appreciate you bringing that in. Um, uh, again, it speaks to that, like you said, that trust, that faith, um, uh, that uh, we know the God of the universe, um, the God who has revealed himself in, in his word and in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the one who ultimately has the power and the control and the authority. And um, uh, he is on our side. We are going to submit to him and, and his will. Uh, again, reminiscent of, of Acts 5, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we must obey God rather than men. Um, you know, some of that language here, no matter what is happening, we're going to, to trust in him. And, and so then when, you know, when we, I appreciate a narrative like this because, you know, um, you made the statement a second ago, we know that God is the one who's in control. Absolutely. Um, and yet we probably find ourselves in times, and this is why I think narratives that, that speak these, these things to us get at us in a different way than just a declarative statement. You know, you can tell someone God is in control. Um, you can tell someone that, that God, you know, will, will take care of you, but, and that those can be helpful in certain situations, but then to add to that a narrative where we can maybe resonate with an individual, um, or the group of people around them or a certain situation. And then we see this play out. Um, it adds to that kind of declarative statement to say, that this actually happened and has happened time and time again, uh, where God has has shown this. It's not just true because of a statement, but it's actually something that He has enacted. Does that? I don't know if yeah, that makes to, sense. That thought. I'm no, it, it it does. It does. And to see how then the church prays for Peter to to God. I mean, they Peter's in prison and they've just seen James be beheaded, but they still pray because they, they know who the true God is. And they know that no matter what Herod does, the Lord still is Lord over all risen from the dead. And he will save his people according to his promise. So we're going to pick up more of this on the other side of the break. You're listening to sharper iron here on KFUO talking acts chapter 12 with pastor Tim Eden. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Sharper Iron. It is Friday, May 27th. We're studying Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 23 with Pastor Tim Eden. He serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas. Pastor Eden, prior to the break, we talked about the circumstances of Peter's imprisonment. Herod has gone to great lengths to keep him there, but the Lord has something else to say. We read this earlier. Verses 6 through 11 describe how the Lord provides for Peter's escape from the prison. I don't know if that's the right word, that, that he's he's rescued from prison. That's how Peter Peter talks about it that way. Yeah, yeah. But there's there's a couple of things that, that do stand out to me uh, and, and from reading commentaries. One is that... And I I don't know that I would have picked up on this, but one is that the angel uh, wakes Peter up, that Peter was actually sleeping. Mm. And and how else could he sleep in such a situation other than to know his Lord, the risen Lord, the one who promises to rescue, that he's he knows the next day he's likely to be killed. And yet he's asleep peacefully in prison. The the other thing that I thought was uh, just a, a parallel to Peter's own experience in the gospels and this actually comes from the the gospel of john in in the in john 21 when jesus after jesus takes peter aside and restores him three times he tells peter about the days will be coming when he will be led in a place where he won't want to go and other people will dress him and it, it's, it's striking here i think that the angel says to him dress yourself in other words already a, a maybe an indicator to peter you're not going to be martyred today, Peter. You still get to dress yourself today. So those were just a couple of things that that stood mm-hmm. out to me that that I read. That I thought were interesting notes. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, the uh, I didn't think about the the John twenty one um, uh, connection there. Um, uh, I had briefly read a, a similar thing on on the sleeping, and it actually reminds me again of this passage from Philippians. You know, the, the, in everything by prayer, supplication, request made known to God, because then the very next verse, as you were speaking, it reminds me of this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And so this seems to be, again, playing out here uh, uh, for, for Peter himself. Mm. Yeah. So what other, what other details are, are, I mean, just to point out, it's, it's almost... It's almost humorous again, where the king's King Herod's got an idea, and the Lord says, "No, no, I'm going to get my guy out anyways." Well, and, and I mean, I don't know if I'm moving ahead of you, but then as as these things start to happen with the angel coming, you know, we, we see explicitly uh, where is it verse uh, verse nine where he thinks he's seeing a vision. So, so some of us might be able to resonate a little bit if, you know, you're having a really vivid dream and, um, you know, certain things are happening that seems to maybe be part of what, you know, Peter is experiencing here, or it wasn't too long ago that he had a vision, um, when it comes to the sheet coming down and, and the events leading up to Cornelius. So you, you can't blame Peter too much here, um, thinking, oh, these, these crazy things that are taking place, uh, certainly this isn't real, and, and, and I'm going to wake up and then have to you know, deal with whatever tomorrow holds um, uh, until later on when he finally realizes, oh, th- this actually happened. 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate the connection to Acts chapter 10 that he has just seen a vision. And so to think that he's got another vision is not all that surprising. So, that, mm-hmm. yeah, th- those are good points. And again, just to, to see how in, in both in both respects from from Peter's perspective and also then per, from the perspective of Herod and, and his guards, in both cases, you see that this is the Lord doing this. This isn't Peter escaping from prison, but it's mm-hmm. actually the Lord rescuing Peter from prison. Yeah, even starting with that, hey, wake up, uh, I've got something, you yeah. know, uh, it, it, the, the action begins with, with God, with the angel um, coming, and, and it's, it's the angel working the, the whole time uh, on, on Peter's behalf. Yeah. And so he, he gets them out. I mean, he's again, Peter's he's sandwiched between these two guards. He's got chains on him. The angel releases Peter from that. They go through the first second guards. They go through this huge iron gate that opens on its own. The text says, of course, again, this is the Lord doing it in verse 11, though. Peter realizes the reality of what's happened. And And those words of Peter seem pretty significant. And that's what stood out to me as I was reading this and, and prepping is this, you know, language, you know, here Peter's now now speaks, um, not, not that his words are more important than the angel's words, but as, as we kind of hear from him uh, from a narrative sense, you know, he came to himself. Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. Uh, and that rescuing language, oh man, how many things throughout the scriptures going back to the Exodus, you know, or, or whatever else. Uh, well, Daniel three, like you mentioned, you know, that the, the Lord has rescued me, um, from, uh, from the hand of Herod, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. It's a, it's a, it's almost a, for me, it feels like a climactic statement in ways of this passage of, of look at what has happened in, in incredible ways and, and, and attributing it to, um, uh, to the Lord. Well, and and that is just as much a part of the Lord's promise to his disciples as it is that they will face persecution. And maybe sometimes we we do this. We like, okay, we know we're going to face persecution, so we're not going to be surprised by it. But we also shouldn't be surprised when the Lord rescues us, too. And I think that's that's another thing we can see from Peter's confession here. Yeah, well said. Well said. And that it goes back to then that that prayer of, of faith. Um, yeah. uh, asking boldly for the Lord to do what we know he can do, uh, yet also trusting uh, his will, um, uh, that he will, uh, he will do what he sees best uh, for us. That's right. That's right. So Peter is now rescued from prison. He's, he realizes what's happened. And the text picks up again in verse 12. When he, Peter, realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. 
That takes us through verse 19. I'll pause there again. I, I can't help but just laugh a little bit as I read that, Pastor Eden. <laughs> I, I agree with you. You know, the uh, I, don't, I don't know. Well, I, I'm laughing at kind of some of the disbelief. Um, uh, I don't know what, you, what you're laughing at specifically. Well, I mean, just all, all of it. And again, I, I, laughing in the sense that it it's a reminder of, of who is guiding the events here. I'm laughing because none of the human characters seem to recognize or they haven't fully expected the Lord to do these things. And it, it's a reminder that the Lord is the one who's doing these things. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there in verse 12, we're reminded of the praying that's taking place mm-hmm. parallel to verse five, like we mentioned ahead of the events um, that, okay, this is what they were actually doing. Um, Peter goes to, to the house where some of them, many of them are gathered and, and doing this. Uh, yet there's sort of this, um, uh, I forget where in Mark's gospel, the, the, the man who says, you know, I, I believe help my unbelief. You know, we mm-hmm. see, yeah. there seems to be some of that at play here where, where we have faith in God, yet uh, there's, there's often this, uh, uh, um, sorry, my words are failing me, but kind of this limitation to our faith in a sense, you know, do we, mm-hmm. do we believe, but yet not fully expect God to do what we're, what we're praying for or trusting him to do? Because Peter shows up, you know, uh, and, oh, no, no, you're out of your mind. Uh, it, it can't be him. Uh, oh, silly little girl. You know, whatever kind of other words they, they put to this, um, uh, it, it, it just it just doesn't fit with, with even what they've been praying for, either explicitly or, 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 or more generally praying for some sort of, you know, rescue or, or, or care for Peter. Right, right. Yeah, they, they've been praying, and faithfully so, rightly mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. And yet, when the, the moment comes that the Lord has answered that prayer by releasing Peter from prison, they weren't expecting it. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the way that you, you bring in that passage from Mark, the prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. They they seem, other than perhaps Rhoda, Rhoda, she she has no problem. She recognizes Peter's voice and, and right away she mm-hmm. she tells everyone. I mean, Rhoda does seem to have the faith of a child and, and she is described yeah. as, you know, a servant girl, a little girl, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So, it, but it is, it is striking how... Yeah, and I, I know I've I've experienced that myself, where I've I've prayed as the Lord has commanded to you know facing a certain situation, and then the but I, but all in all in the back of my mind, I'm always you know it's probably going to work out the worst way, the way that I really think it's going to work out, <laughs> even as I'm praying, and then yeah. the Lord answers my prayer, and I'm surprised, and then I'm oh no, I really shouldn't be surprised. I should be praising God for answering the prayer just as He promised. Yeah. So hopefully there's a little bit of a humbling aspect for us here as we um, as we resonate with probably some of these uh, prayers that, uh, again, the people praying, prayers that, uh, oh, yeah, I, I do the same thing. I can't be too hard on these people because um, certainly time and time again, I've 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 sent a prayer to God, you know, spoken that word. Um, uh, and and yet the faith is only partially there. Um uh, so, so we probably see ourselves in this sum, and hopefully that's just a a, a good humbling um, aspect for us. Then, yeah, for sure, for sure. The other thing that does cause me to, to laugh a little bit is is Rhoda realizing Peter's at the gate, 
but she doesn't let him in right away. <laughs> oh yes, I, I find that humorous too. <laughs> yeah, kind of that that you know little girl excitement maybe, or um, <laughs> right. or whatever it may be. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. For all I mean, for for her, the the faith that she had in recognizing that it was Peter and the Lord had answered her her prayer, that she didn't let Peter in. He was standing at the gate. It's just a I, I can kind of picture it on a movie screen, and it you're chuckling at least a little bit. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, a quick One text, of the, uh, or sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was no, just no, going to mention a quick textual note um, uh, uh, because I imagine our, re- our some of our hearers, readers of, of the book of Acts may wonder about the, the name James coming up again in verse 17. I yes. don't know if, um, uh, and so, you know, wait a second. I thought at the beginning of Acts 12, James just died. Why is Peter now right. saying, you know, tell these things to James and to the brothers? To the brothers? Um, uh, this is where um, it's helpful for us to, to know from uh, from other uh, things that happen in the book of Acts, especially later in the book of Acts, uh, this figure James comes up again, um, but it is a different James. Uh, the James here in, in Acts 12 verse 17 um, uh, is is very likely, almost almost without a doubt, James, the brother of Jesus, um, uh, who was um, a very prominent leader in um, in. The, the church in Jerusalem, not an apostle per se uh, or officially, um, but a very prominent leader. Um, later in the book of Acts, fifth, chapter 15, chapter 21, um, uh, and I believe his name comes up in, in Galatians 1 and 2 as well, to my understanding. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I'm glad you brought that up because I, we were talking earlier about James, the brother of John the son of Zebedee, who was martyred. The fact that he is martyred there does help us to distinguish between many of the James who are mentioned in the New Testament. Yes. And and you're exactly right that the James who's mentioned in verse 17 is almost certainly James, the brother of Jesus, who is, is mentioned in Acts chapter 15 as being prominent in the Jerusalem council. He's mentioned again in Acts 21, as you said. He's mentioned in Galatians. He's also mentioned, I believe he's mentioned by name in 1 Corinthians 15 mm-hmm. as one of the ones to whom the Lord appeared after his resurrection. So mm-hmm. that's the James we're talking about. And that's that's an important thing to, to keep in mind as we try to make sure we know who the, the people are. Uh, in terms of other people mentioned in this text, at the very beginning in verse 12, Peter goes to the house of Mary. Mm. And of course, there's lots of Marys in the Bible. <laughs> well, this, this Mary is the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So John Mark, this is the, the author of the second gospel, Mark. And, and it's one of the if we studied mark here on sharp iron this has probably been two years ago now but one of the things when it comes to the gospel of mark is mark is often very closely associated with peter mm-hmm. in, in fact peter in his first epistle calls mark his son probably not a biological son but likely son in the faith that mark heard peter preach Mark was brought to Christianity through that. And then Mark later wrote his gospel based on what Peter had had taught him and, and told him. So just a you know, trying to connect some of these New Testament characters, I, I think it's a it's a helpful exercise because sometimes we or at least I know in my own mind, I can keep them separate. But the book of Acts really shatters that, and you see how they all did interact within the early church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, I'm glad you mentioned you know John Mark there because he does play um, a, a fairly significant role in the coming chapters in Acts, um, even with uh, although the close association um, agree uh, with you there, the close association to Peter, he does come up in the ministry of Paul and Barnabas and yeah. and some of those events. 
So to, to have a, a bearing on who that is, especially in distinction to who we often think of with John, John the Apostle. Uh, so this is a different, right. a different John. Right. Yeah. John, John Mark. And he's almost always called either John, whose other name was Mark or John Mark, or sometimes yeah. just Mark by himself. Yep. Yeah. And, and just, I mean, again, the way you're, you know, like, hey, he's connected to Paul as well. And of course, Luke, who's the one writing the book of Acts and also wrote the gospel of Luke is connected to Paul and, and Luke. I mean, just to, to see how these, these people that, again, sometimes we, I think, and again, this is maybe just me, but sometimes we, we hold them separate. They're all interacting with each other right here mm-hmm. in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't be surprised. For, for example, you know, I mentioned it earlier how that matter of dress yourself, that's recorded by the Apostle John, not Luke, but they knew each other. Hmm. I mean, you know, like we, should, we shouldn't forget that. Yep, yep. So the other, the other thing then, so we've, we've talked about Peter has gone to the house of, of Mary, mother of John, Mark. They let him in. Finally, they realize who he is. <laughs> but one, one, one verse that, and maybe I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what to make of this either. So if, if you don't know, I, but I'm curious, one of the verses that sometimes gets just pulled out of context here is in verse 15 where they think Rhoda's out of her mind. She keeps saying, and mm. they say to her, it is his angel. Mm. Any idea what they mean by that? It is his angel. Uh, the, the reference that I've heard, and I was going to pull it up here real quick is um, uh, Jesus's words in Matthew 18 about um uh, uh, let me pull it up here, <clears throat> or maybe you already have it in front of yourself. Um, uh, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly father. Um, that's, that's one translation. Uh, and so this idea of, uh, I don't know which comes first, the chicken or the egg kind of idea here, you know, do people come up with this idea and then put it upon this text? Or is it because of this text and Jesus's words that people have this idea that, um, you know, each person has an angel kind of assigned to them. Uh, I've heard that theory. I, I don't lean into that a whole lot myself personally, um, but potentially there's something to that. And this is the background here. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure what else uh, to make of it, to be honest. Yeah, it's and that's about all that I've I've read too. And I I also am am hesitant to say a whole lot. Sp- definitively based on this verse and the, the verse from Matthew 18 at some, I, I have heard that, that there are those who believe, and I, I mean, if, if this is where a person wants to go with it, I'm not necessarily opposed to it, that, that these verses do indicate that each one of us has a specific guardian angel assigned to us. My, my response is generally, well, maybe, but if not, I, I always know that the Lord sends a multitude of angels to guard mm-hmm. and protect, as as He very clearly promises, for example, in Psalm ninety one. So, yeah, but this yeah. is one of those verses. I, I don't want to pass by it too quickly without at least just mentioning it. Well, and one other thought that comes to my mind, talking it out with you here, is uh, the broader meaning of this of this Greek word, um, uh, angelos, um, uh, messenger. Correct. Um, right. You know. So is it is it possible that that would would be kind of the meaning here that somehow um, I don't know what kind of liberties, if any, Peter would have had being in prison, especially considering the guards around him. But is it possible that they, you know, that they're thinking, oh, he sent some messenger, you know, so, mm-hmm. so this is just another individual. It's not Peter himself, but he's sending us some word maybe. 
you know, that's just kind of trying to, to throw out another possibility um, right. of what might be in play here. Noting, again, the, the dual meaning of that Greek uh, word. Um, it might not be a literal angel, angelic being that they're referring to. It may be a, a more general messenger um, could, could be the meaning yeah. of that word. No. I think that's a helpful reminder that that the word angelos in Greek, which is often just translated angel, right, could also so. mean yeah. just a, a messenger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, that's that's also a possibility as to what is perhaps not the clearest text. Now, there's I, I find the, as the text continues into verse eighteen, uh, a bit of irony there that of course Herod's precautions did not work, <laughs> such that by the end of it, Herod had intended to execute Peter. He ends up executing the people who were charged with keeping Peter there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well said on the irony there. Um, uh, and, and noting, you know, the length that Herod went to, um, it would not surprise me that he's upset, you know, with, with what That's had right. taken place. Now, whether it was, you know, their fault or not, um, uh, that Peter was, uh, uh, was freed um, uh, still uh, the irony there. And, and, and fortunately um, that they are, are put to death uh, b- because of these events. That's right. Now Herod's account continues. And, and when we pick up the text again, we get past the point where we usually stop in Sunday school as children, but <laughs> Luke continues to record. We pick up the text again in Acts 12 verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last." That is the rest of our text for today. That takes us through Acts 12, 23. So again, Pastor Eden, not generally a story we read in Sunday school, but nonetheless <laughs> recorded for us by St. Luke and important. What do, what do we need to see in these last few verses of our text today? The big thing that jumps out to me is he did not give God the glory. That uh, that language there, and and as we've walked through this text together now, seeing a juxtaposition to um, Peter's words in verse 11, where uh, now I am sure that the Lord has done these things, has rescued me. Um, obviously, Herod is not in need of rescuing, but still this idea that in all things, um, giving God the glory for who he is and what he has done for us. And we have, uh, uh, and again, the irony, like you were just saying about the soldiers put to death, um, maybe this is part of why this is grouped together so closely here that Peter was the one who was supposed to die at the beginning of this text, uh, yet um, in the end uh, were recorded for us as the death of Herod because um, he did not give God the glory. Um, Instead, these words are spoken about him and, uh, you know, he seems to in some some way, again, it's just summarized for us, he didn't give God the glory, but pride, um, idolatry of himself, whatever that may have looked like in response to these people's um, uh, shouts and, and, and cries about him. Uh, the, the, the clearest part, again, he did not give God the glory for, for this praise of him. Mm, right. Yeah. It, we here at Grace, we've been studying the Psalms during adult Bible class, and we very recently Wonderful. covered Psalm 58. 
Psalm 58 is a Psalm of David, and it begins like this. The ESV translates, do you indeed decree what is right? You gods, gods with a smaller, lowercase g. We, we mm-hmm. talked about that in Bible class. And in all likelihood there, David is not speaking to gods that is idols, but to earthly rulers who consider themselves gods. And and as the as the psalm continues, David, you know, he prays concerning the way that these those rulers who would exalt themselves and hold themselves in in divine with divine glory. He he prays that the Lord would bring them to judgment. And and he prays things like this, let them vanish like water that runs away. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. That's not all that different than what happens mm. to Herod Agrippa here. Mm. That that those who would claim divine glory for themselves will meet their end before, as, and the psalm concludes this way, as, as a comfort to the righteous. Mankind will surely say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Such that, you know, the, the point here is that Herod didn't recognize who the true God is and that God did judge him. And there is a call to repentance then for all who would, you know, not give glory to God and find within themselves some kind of divinity. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a, not an explicit warning for us, but again, one of those in, in sort of a narrative form here, uh, a warning for for any of us, whether we are in a place of high position or not, um, that uh, uh, we need to attribute the right things to the right uh, the right person, or in this sense, to the to the one and only God. Uh, that yeah. we are uh, we are not uh, gods. Uh, we need to not claim. Uh, uh, any sort of power or authority for ourselves, um, uh, but uh, uh, give praise and glory to to the one who is, has given us everything that we do have. Right, and and in the context of Acts chapter twelve, the death of Herod then I think serves as a comfort for the church at the time, and then for the church still today, that mm-hmm. those who who do intend to harm those who belong to Christ, they do not win. That the Lord does, and and just as He rescued Peter. So he rescues his his whole church. And the, the death of Herod, I think, serves as a, a seal and a stamp upon that saying, yes, it is so. The wicked will not actually prosper, but the Lord wins the victory for his church. About 30 seconds for final thoughts, Pastor Eden. Yeah, well said. Um, and sometimes that you know means for us then, again, the encouragement for prayer. Um, uh, sometimes the, the psalm language of, of waiting on the Lord, um, because it might not be in our timing. Um, but I appreciate what you emphasize that, again, ultimately the Lord is the victor. Um, he is the one who has been the victor in Christ's resurrection. That's where we see it. We can always count on it. Um, and, and for you guys heading into your next reading then of Acts, you know, we see this victory go forward in, um, in God working uh, through the, the word of God going forward uh, in the following verses here as well. Pastor Tim Eden serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas, helping us today with Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 23. Pastor Eden, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much. I always enjoy it. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 12, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week. Next week.